Fish were brought alive to the cubs when they had been swimming about a fortnight and dropped in the shallowest water. And when they were nearly three months old, their mother took them downstream, past leaning Willow Island and across the bend to where the banks were glidden into mud smothered by the sea. The tide had lapsed from the mud, leaving fresh water to tear the rocky bed below. Tarka galloped through the tall green reeds to the river stopping by a gut to sniff at the tracks of the curlew, which had been feeding there during the ebb tide. Near the water, he found another track of five toes well spread and the prick of five claws. The dog had walked there. Just above Halfpenny Bridge, they saw him, half out of the water and chewing a fish which he did not trouble to hold in his paws. He crunched it from the head downwards, gulping his bites quickly, and as soon as the tail was swallowed, he turned and went underwater for more. The bitch took her cubs to a pool below the bridge and walked with them across a shallow tail of water. She stared at the stones, brown and slippery with seaweed, and the cubs stared also. They watched the glimmers in the claws of water, sometimes trying to bite them. While they were watching, the mother ran along the bank to the top of the pool and slid into the water. More often than usual, her head looked up as she swam from bank to bank, for she was not hunting, but driving the fish down to the cubs. Tarka became excited and, seeing a fish, he swam after it and went underwater to get it. In order to travel faster, he struck out with all four webs together and lo, Tarka was swimming like an otter near a fish. It was the biggest fish he had seen and although he kicked after it at a rate of nearly 200 kicks a minute, he lost it after a yard. He yickered in anger and Oh, Tarka was no longer swimming like an otter, but gasping and coughing on the surface. A poor, little, sick-feeling cub mewing for his mother. He felt better when he'd eaten a mullet caught by his mother. The fish had come up with the tide and remained in the still pool. Later in the night, Tarka caught a polywiggle, or tadpole, in the watery hoof hole and thought himself a real hunter as he played with it, passing it from paw to paw and rolling on his back in the mud. He was quite selfish over his prey when his mother went to see what he was doing and cried, Iss, iss, ikyam, an old weasel threat which, being interpreted, means go away or I will drink your blood. Old Nog, the heron, beating his loose grey wings over leaning Willow Island as the sun was making yellow the top of the tall trees, saw five brown heads in the salmon pool. Three small heads and a larger head turned to the left by the fallen tree and the largest head went on upriver alone. The cubs were tired 
and did not like being washed when they were in the halt. Afterwards, Tarka pushed his sister from his mother's neck, the most comfortable place in the halt, and immediately fell asleep. Sometimes his hind legs kicked gently. He was trying to catch a shining fish that wriggled just before his nose. When he was abruptly flung awake, he yawned, but his mother, tissing through her teeth, frightened him into silence. The day was bright outside the hole. Halcyon the kingfisher sped down the river, crying a short, shrill peat as it passed the halt. The otter got on her forelegs and started towards the opening. Soon after the kingfisher had gone, a turtle dove alighted on the ash tree above the halt and looked about her. She had just flown off her two eggs, nearly dropping through a loose, raft-like nest in a hawthorn by the weir. The bird held out a wing and began to straighten the filaments of a flight quill which had struck a twig during her sudden flight out of the bush top. She drew the feather through her beak thrice, shook her wings, listened and went on preening. Tarka closed his eyes again, breathed deeply and settled to sleep on the youngest cub's neck. He looked up when his mother ran to the opening. The otter was listening to a sound like a high, thin twang of a mosquito. Hair bristled on her neck. From far away, there came a deep rolling sound and a screaming cheer. The otter instantly returned to her cubs and stood over them in a protective attitude, for she knew that hounds were hunting the water. Tarka crouched down listening to the cries. They became more distinct. Always a deeper, gruffer note was heard among them. The sounds, almost continuous, became louder and louder. Nearer came another sound, the wings of the dove striking against twigs as it flew away. A minute later, the pair of coltits that had a nest in a hole of the ash tree began to make their small, wheezy notes of alarm. The white owl had flown from the bridge and was perched against the ivy of the trunk, turning its head from side to side and blinking. One coltit, about as long as a man's finger, flittered with rage on the twigs a few inches from the gold-grey head. The owl blinked slowly. The baying swelled under the bridge. It swung its head round without moving its body and stared straight behind it. Chizzy, chizzy, chizzy tea, wheezed the coltit as the owl floated away. Tarka was used to this sound, for usually it greeted him whenever he looked out of the halt in daylight. Chizzy, chizzy, chizzy tea, the bird wheezed again. And then Tarka saw the big head of the dog otter by the opening and his wet paws on the bark. The bitch tissed at him. Her teeth snapped at his head, and the dog was gone. The cries were very loud now. Tarka heard thuds in the wood all around him. The cubs crouched in the darkest corner. Nearer came the shouts of men, until the thuds of running feet ceased on the bank. 
the water began to wash against and lap the half-drowned trunk. Claws scraped the wood. The opening grew dark, and the tongue he had heard above the others boomed in the hollow. The otter crouched back, larger than usual, for her body was rigid and all the hair of her back stood straight. Swish, swish, swept her rudder. She recognised another sound and tissed every time it cried the names of hounds in a voice thin and high as though it were trying to become as the horn which so often took its rightful breath. The voice ceased. The horn sang its plain note. Whips cracked. By their big feet, hounds pull themselves out of the water, except the one who threw his deep tongue at the halt opening. He was all black and white with grey flues, and the biggest stallion hound in the pack. He was black from nose to neck, except for the pallid nicks of old quarrel scars on his muzzle and head. No hound quarrelled with him now, for Deadlock was master of all. In his veins ran the blood of the Talbots, and one of his bloodhound ancestors had eaten man. He had mastiff in him. His dam and sire had pulled down many a deer at bay in the waters of the moor, and died fireside deaths after faithful service to red coats. A pink wheel ran down his belly, for in his second stag hunting season, the great pied hound had been ripped open by the brow point of a stag, and his pace had gone from him afterwards. The otter hunters bought him for a guinea, liking his long legs, and now Deadlock was the truest marking hound in the country of the two rivers. He held his paw, and his teeth tore at the sodden tinderwood. He could thrust in only his head while he was kicking the water for a foothold. The otter ran forward and bit him through the ear, piercing the earmark where the blue initial letters of his original pack were tattooed. Deadlock yard through his bared teeth. Three small mouths at the other end of the halt opened and tissed in immense fright. Then Tarka heard a cry, which he was to hear often in his wanderings. A cry which, to many otters of the two rivers, had meant that the longest swimmings, the fastest land looping, the quietest slipping from drain or halt, were unavailing. Tally-ho! The cry came from down the river, just above leaning Willow Island, from the throat of an old man in a blue coat and white breeches who had been leaning his bearded chin on hands clasping a ground-ash pole nearly as long as the old man himself. From his lookout place, he had seen something moving down like brown thongweed just under the clear and shallow water. Off came the hat, grey as lichen, to be held while he cried again, Tally-ho! The horn of the huntsman sang short and urgent notes, the air by the halt was scored by the names of hounds as he ran with them to where, amidst purple streaked stems of hemlock, the old man was standing on the shillets. Soon afterwards, 
The horn sounded again, near the halt, and the baying of hounds grew louder. Footfalls banged the wood above Tarka's head as a man climbed along the trunk. The water began to lap. Hound taint from a high yelping throat came into the halt. The bitch grew larger along her back when, above her, a man's voice cried snarlingly, Go on, leave it, Captain, go on, leave it. A thong swished, a lash cracked, Go on, leave it, Captain. The high yelping lessened with the taint of breath. The cries went upriver. The rudder of the bitch twitched. The hair on her back fell slanting, but it rose when something scratched above. Her nose pointed. She breathed through her mouth. She moved away uneasily. Tarka sneezed. Tobacco smoke. A man was sitting in the branches above them. After half an hour, the cries came down to the halt again. They passed, and then Tarka heard a new and terrible noise. The noise as of mammoth iron toes, centipedes crossing on the stones or shillets at the tail of the pool. Tally-ho, look out, he's coming down! Iron toes scraped the shillets faster. Here, across the shallow, a dozen men and women stood almost leg to leg in the water, stirring the stream with their iron-shod poles to stop the dog otter passing down to the next pool. Tarka and the cubs breathed fast again. Deadlock's great bellow swam nearer, with the high yelping of Captain. Many wavelets slapped against the tree. A dozen hounds were giving tongue between Canal Bridge and the stickle above Leaning Willow Island. A shaggy face looked into the halt, and a voice cried just over Tarka's head, Go on, leave it, Dewdrop, go on, leave it! Boots knocked on the trunk. Is, is, is. Go on, leave it. And Dewdrop left it, bitten in the nose. Unable to break the stickle, the dog otter went back under the bridge. Baying became fainter. The notes of the coal tits in the ash tree were heard again. In the quiet hollow, the otter unstiffened and scratched for ticks, as though the hunt had never come there. Hounds and men were above the bridge, where another stickle was standing. The water flowed with small murmurs. She heard the rustling clicks of dragonflies' wings over the sun's splashy ripples. Silence, the tranquil chee-chee of a coal tit seeking a grub in an oak apple, and the sunbeam through the woodpecker hole roving over the damp wood dust on the floor. The otter lay down. She dozed. She jumped up when sudden cries of tally-ho and a confused clamour arose beyond the bridge. Now all the sounds of the past hours were increasing together, of tongues and horns and cheers, and very soon they were overborne by a deep new noise like the rumbling of the mill when the water wheel was turning. Then... With the deep rumbling came the prolonged, thin rattle of the horn and the triumphant whooping of whips and huntsmen. The sounds slowed and ceased, except for the lone baying of a hound. They broke out again and slowed away into silence. But long afterwards, the strange blowing noises made by their mother frightened the huddled cubs. 
sometimes the slits of the owl's lids opened and dark eyes would watch a drop of water falling from one of the thin horns of lime hanging from the crevices between the stones of the arch. Yellow ripple light no longer passed across the stonework of Canal Bridge. The sun made shadows on the meadow slightly longer than the trees were tall. For more than an hour, the water had been peaceful. A blackbird sang in the sycamore, growing by the bridge. The otter looked out of the halt and listened. She feared sunlight on the field less than the taint of hounds still coming down on the water, and calling her cubs, she slid into the river and ran out under the bank into the grass. Iss, iss, iss. The ground in patches was damp with the water run of hounds, flues, flanks and sterns. Only a carrion crow saw them hastening across the meadow to the leet, and its croaks followed them into the wood where bees were burring round purple spires of foxgloves and chiffchaffs flittered through honeysuckle binds. Otter and cubs passed low and swift among the green seed heads of the bluebells and uphill over blackening leaves until they saw the river again below them where the sun points glittered and a young kingfisher one of the sons of Halcyon drew a blue line in the shade of oak trees.